you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, all the way to the beginning. It's found on page two. Can't beat that. Genesis 2, we're going to start at verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the heaven, the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the middle of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. River flowed out of Eden uh, to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Um, Bedlium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep, um, and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of every, of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For on the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper that's fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every kind of the heavens, uh, every kind of every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds and of the heavens and to the every, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He shall be called woman, because he was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Today the home is under attack. I don't think that's a big surprise to any of you. One of the biggest areas that's under attack right now is the institution of marriage. The past few years, our, our government, the courts, even judges, are literally redefining what marriage is. 
And the problem with that is, is it really ours to redefine? I mean, if marriage is our idea, if it's our idea and it's our invention, then yeah, we can do whatever we want with it. But is it? Is marriage our idea or is it the Lord's? What does it take to have a good marriage? Well, if you just go to a local bookstore, you'll find shelves and shelves and shelves of books that are on that subject, telling you how to have a perfect marriage. There's hundreds of self-help books that you can buy that will show you all the ingredients that are needed so you have that, that great and wonderful marriage. Or you could go online and there's lots of websites and there's blogs that, that get at the same thing. Ingredients to a perfect marriage. When I did a search this past week, I, I came across a couple experts that I wanted to quote from. Listen to their insight about marriage. First, no person really describes, I'm sorry, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all, all way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. Now that was Christine, and she's age 10. Alan, who's also 10, says, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, she should like sports, and she should keep the chips coming. That's good. Makes a lot of sense. When Freddie, age six, was asked what the right age to get married was, he said, no age is good to get married at. You, you gotta be a fool to get married. <laughs> We'll give them a couple years, right? <laughs> In answering the age-old question whether it's better to be single or married, Anita, age nine, says, it's better for girls to be single but not for boys. <laughs> boys need someone to clean up after them. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm always looking for sermon illustrations. <laughs> And finally, when asked how best to make a marriage work, 10-year-old Ricky had this to say, tell your wife she looks really pretty even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> Lauren, a Chevy truck, probably. <laughs> Ricky, he's a pretty smart kid too. It's safe to say there's a lot of different ideas about what marriage is. And as time goes on, marriage seems to be getting less and less important. Barna says that presently, the divorce rate is around 40 to 50% given the year. Um, it's 60 to 70, 60, it's 60 to 67% for second marriages that they end up in divorce. They also found that when the economy of our nation is weak, divorce goes way down, probably because people can't afford it. But when the economy goes up, then the divorce rate goes up. They also found that 51% of new marriages today uh, begin with couples cohabitating with each other. At the end of the article, this is what Barner researchers concluded. There's no long, there no longer seems to be much of a stigma attached to living together or divorce. It is now seen as a rite of passage. The article continues, interviews with young people suggest that they want their initial marriages to last, but they are not particularly optimistic about that possibility. There's also evidence that many young people are moving toward embracing the idea of serial marriages. 
in which a person gets married two or three times, seeking a different, seeking a different partner for each stage of their life. And so they just think, well, that's normal. You have one person for the beginning, one person for the middle, one person for the latter years. Researchers at Barna, they also report that the divorce rate in the US is 12th in the world. So we're 12th of all, all the nations. Belarus, they're first at 68%. Russia is second at 65%. And surprisingly, Sweden is third at 64%. That's a lot of divorce. Even though the US isn't the highest in the world, still I can't help but think these statistics are frightening, aren't they? The amount of divorce in the world today. Marriage is in trouble. That's the environment that our our children are are growing up in. That's what they see. That means unless we know for certain why marriage is so important, unless we know, parents and grandparents, why it's so important and why it's something worth fighting for, we're going to continue to see an erosion of it in the years to come. But if you think this is just a 21st century problem, it's not. You only have to read what Jesus had to say about marriages back in his day. And what he said in Matthew 19 about marriage and divorce. His view of marriage was so high and different from what the people and what the disciples really thought about it, that they were actually shocked by what Jesus said. The disciples were surprised and they even said to him in that that passage in verse 10, if such is the case of a man with his wife, is it better not to marry? So they heard what Jesus said and, and it almost seemed impossible to them. How can you achieve that kind of a marriage? And so their conclusion was, isn't it impossible to do this, Lord? They saw Christ's vision of marriage It's just being too radical. They couldn't wrap their minds around it. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? Because we see that today as well. Liberal elite today are trying to redefine what marriage is, trying to define who marriage is between. And for any Christian who would dare object based on Scripture, who want to make a stand on Scripture, they're accused of being intolerant, of being a bigot, of hating those around them. Our country increasingly believes that as long as you love someone and you're in a committed relationship, what does it matter? If you're married or not, what does it matter who you marry? Since Genesis 2 is where we first see the idea of marriage, I think it's the best place to start looking for answers. And we're actually going to spend some weeks looking at what marriage is, and God's design, God's intent for marriage. And so we're just going to dig into it lightly today, but we'll get into it a little bit deeper um, the next time I'm I'm up here. For the time I left this morning, let's look at whose idea marriage is. First, we need to see that marriage is God's idea. It was God's idea right from the very beginning. God created marriage for his honor and glory. 
Marriage is God's will for most of us. Not all of us, but it's his will for most of us. Because it was his design right from the very beginning. Genesis 1, 27, 28 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now clearly, God sets Adam up when he has him name the animals. You wonder how, really, how long Adam took. We think, yeah, well, I'll just call that elephant. I'll call that one Noah. I'll call that one Ray. I mean, whatever. You know, I don't think that's what it was like. I would say Adam was probably studying the animals. Look at what they did, and he was coming up with names that he thought went along with those animals. But God did this on purpose. It's not that he made a mistake. It's not like he said, oops, man, I got partners for all the animals, but shoot, I forgot about, I forgot about Noah. I mean, not about Noah, about Adam. I'm jumping ahead. Forgot, forgot about Adam. There's no one for him. That, he didn't make a mistake. But I think he had him name those animals so that Adam would be very, that he would see clearly that he needed somebody too. And who addresses this? It's not Adam, but it's God himself. Verse 18. It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Can't miss that all central statement. God's the one who noticed. God's the one who put a plan in motion. Finding him someone that would be perfectly suited for him. After showing Adam that no suitable helpmate could be found among the animals, Verse 21 says, The Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of his ribs, and from it, God made a woman and brought her to Adam. And he probably went, wow. Thank you, Lord. Reminds me of a joke I came across this week. Sunday school, Bobby seemed especially intent when his teacher told him how Eve was created out of one of Adam's ribs. Later in the week, his mother noticed that Bobby was laying on the floor as if he was sick. And she said, Bobby, what's the matter? Little Bobby responded, I've I've got a pain in my side. I think I'm having a wife. (laughs) If only it was that easy, huh? (laughs) In the garden, you could say that God the Father, the Creator, He's the one who gave the bride away. He gave the bride to, to Adam. He made Eve and then brought her to, to Adam. And, and though Eve belonged to God by virtue of creation, that God created her, he gives her to Adam as a gift, joining them together in this new relationship called marriage. People today try to argue that, sure, God came up with the idea of, of marriage, but As long as we love someone until death do we part, does it really matter if you're married or living with somebody or whether whether they're male or female? Does it matter? But the, the Bible, it throws a wrench into this when it says in verse 24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife or husband and become one flesh. 
Jesus clarifies this more for us when he says in Matthew 19, Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but they're one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. You see, in Jesus' own answer, he sees marriage as a creation's principle. It's a creation principle, something that goes all the way back to the very beginning before sin even affected it. It's a creation principle. This is his will for our lives. It was his design from the beginning. And that makes Jesus' words in Matthew all the more important when he says, what therefore God has joined together, let men not separate. This means when a couple speaks their vows, It's not a man or woman or even the pastor or parent that are the main actors in that marriage, but actually it's God. God is the one who's standing there. God is the one who's binding them together. If the world would remember this, maybe there would be more marriages and less divorce. This thinking has crept into the church, though, I... And and, and sadly, the divorce rate in the church is pretty much equal to what we see out in the world around us. Sadly, we no longer see marriage as, as the gift that it is, as the gift that it was meant to be. Last week, we saw how a priest named Valentine believed so strongly in the institution of marriage that even though Claudius banned it, He continued to marry people even though he knew it would cost him his life. Valentine believed in the institution of marriage. He believed that it was so important and he believed that it had such a profound effect on the family that he believed you had to protect it at all costs and see it for what it was, a covenant patterned after God's own. And for Valentine, it was worth dying for. Is that how we see it? Or does the high divorce rate in our country show that maybe we started to forget a little bit? I need to be careful here. I know that there's some in our congregation who've been through a divorce. Please don't think I'm condemning you or I'm not even pointing my finger at you in, in any way. We live in a fallen world and and that divorce exists, it's proof of that. But still, the Bible is clear about God's design for marriage. And I think the better we know what the Bible says about it, the more we will cherish our marriages. And I think the more we'll cherish our vows that we've made to each other. Paul calls us to pattern our marriages after Christ's covenant commitment to the church. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 5, 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, Paul says. And, but I'm talking about Christ and the church, though there's application both ways, is the point he made. Christ preserved, presented himself as the bridegroom that was coming for his bride, the church, And the dowry price that Christ paid 
for his bride? It was his own blood. Luke 22:20. 20, Jesus says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Scripture clearly teaches that a marriage covenant between a husband and a wife, it's literally patterned after the covenant that God has made with us, his people, and his church. When a husband and wife, when they're faithful to their covenant with each other, it really does point to Christ, and it points to the church. We don't realize that. The world around us is watching. And when we have marriages that are healthy, when we have marriages that are strong, where the love, bind, Christ's love binds us together, and, and a couple is walking hand in hand, it glorifies the Lord, and it's, it's a beacon for the world around us saying that something different is going on there in that place. There's a love that I don't totally understand. And hopefully it'll make him curious. Hopefully it'll make him wonder what we have and desire it for themselves. You see, we need to remember that, that making a covenant with somebody in marriage, it's more than feelings. The world around us, they think it's all about feelings. And when the feelings are gone, well, whoop, okay, that's the end of that. That's not what the Bible teaches. When we're in a covenant relationship with someone, when we're in a covenant relationship with somebody, it's a choice. It's a choice we have to make. And it's a choice we have to keep making. And there's sometimes, there's some days when that choice is going to be tough. Some days you don't even want to talk to the other person. You don't even want to look at them. But don't give up on marriage, even though the feelings aren't there that day. Love is a choice. It's patterned after God's covenant with us. And when you remain committed to it, God blesses that like you wouldn't believe. God blesses that, and he brings you back together. And actually, the relationship you have after those times, it becomes stronger than it was before. But we've got to be willing to do it God's way. It's a huge topic. So we're going to look at this again next time. But in closing this morning, when you honor the commitment you made to your spouse before God, God blesses it. And uses the good and the hard times to make your, your marriage Strong. He cements you together. It's so easy to say, well, oh, look at the trouble we're having. Well, let's, let's end it. But for those who are willing to work through it and stay committed to it, it opens you up to blessings that you never imagined possible. It's hard. It's not easy. But the blessings are there. But whoever said this world would be easy in fact, Jesus said just the opposite. It's going to be hard just as it was hard for me. If this morning your marriage is on the rocks, don't give up on it. Even if you're the only one in the marriage that's committed to your vows, don't give up on it. Because remember, you're not alone. God is there and he will be your strength 
and your help. He will give you the joy to sustain you. And remember that there's no other earthly relationship that's as important as your marriage. You have become one with them and there's no other relationship on earth that can compare. No other relationship. Ladies, your girlfriends are important, aren't they? But they don't compare to what you have in your spouse. Husbands, your, your friends, those that you go hunting with, fishing with, go golfing with, they're important. But they're no comparison to what you have in your wife and your, your spouse. Parents, even your kids are not as important as your marriage. Let me say that again. Parents, even your kids are not as important as your marriage. If your marriage goes down the tube, your family is going to go down the tube. If you keep your family, your marriage strong, it's going to affect your, your kids as well. They need that stability. And so it takes effort. It's so easy that once you get married, it's so easy to put your relationship on the back burner. You've got other responsibilities. Starting a house, your kids, everything that's part of that. But you need to date each other. You need to keep working on that relationship so it remains strong. So the devil can't get a foothold into it. The saddest thing I see in, 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 in my life throughout the years, the different churches I've been at, is, is couples that didn't pay much attention to their marriage during their lives, and they finally get to retirement, and they look at their spouse and they're strangers. And they have nothing in common. They don't do much with each other. How sad. That should be your best friend. But if that person's going to be your best friend, then you got to work at it, don't you? It takes effort. you got to spend time together. It's the same with our relationship with the Lord. If you never spend time with Him or, or talk to Him, your relationship is going to grow weak. Marriage is a blessing from God that's worthy of your time and your commitment and your love. I pray that each of us might cherish it as much as God does. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we just pray that you might make our marriages strong. Lord, the devil's working so hard trying to tear them down and tear them apart. Lord, some here this morning are feeling the effects of that. Lord, it's like their lives were ripped open. Their families were ripped open as they went through that. And I just pray for them, Lord. I pray for their healing. I just pray that you'll be with them in a special way. And Lord, for those who are struggling in their marriages, I just pray that they won't give up, but they'll keep working through it and allow you to bless them. Fill them with joy, Lord. Give them hope. Give them a vision of what can be. And Lord, for those marriages that are represented in this church, Lord, that are healthy and good, may we hold them up as examples to follow after. Father, may we see them as reflecting your love for us and your commitment to us. Father, we just thank you for blessing us so abundantly. Father, what we're talking about is not an easy thing, and so send your spirit upon us. Enable us to do what we could never do on our own. We ask this in Christ's name.
Amen. The solid rock.